The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the Teacher Learning Sessions, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other. Simply put, a classroom library removes all barriers. When you can put a book in the hand of a student who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that book. My students don't have references to things. They're so lost. I don't know another word to say, but they so don't know. She read it three or four times and kept saying it's her favorite book, it's her favorite book. She literally could not let it go. She wanted it next to her like a, a blanket, security blanket. It reminds me of that student who said to me, the book owned me, Miss Kittle. I had to keep reading. She became a reader and she saw the value. And now she has a little boy who would consider himself a reader who loves books. And I just think, oh, that's why. That's why. Welcome to the Book Love Foundation podcasts. I'm Penny Kittle, and I'm your host. I'm the founder and president of the Book Love Foundation. We have one goal, to put books into the classrooms of teachers of teenagers. We believe all teenagers, and I mean every single one, will create a reading life of challenge, whim, curiosity, and hunger if we put lively, interesting, and irresistible books into their hands. You will meet teachers in our podcasts who've won grants from our foundation, as well as some of my author friends who have important things to say about the teaching of reading. But mostly this podcast is a celebration of all that's possible in reading, something I believe in, and I believe every teacher will again believe in teenagers as readers if they begin their teaching with one goal, that every kid every year will find a book they can fall in love with, that will keep them reading late into the night, that will answer questions they didn't even know they were asking, the book that lasts. Today's episode is focused on how teachers connect students to books and how a classroom library changes interest and engagement with reading. Joining me on these shows is Kevin Carlson from the Teacher Learning Sessions. Today's conversation begins with Allison Marchetti, a teacher and now author in Virginia, who talked with Penny about why classroom libraries matter. Simply put, a classroom library removes all barriers to reading. It removes the cost barrier, it removes the transportation barrier, it removes all barriers. When you can put a book in the hand of a student who otherwise wouldn't be able to get that book for whatever reason, you're really increasing the chances the student is going to open that first page, dive in, and hopefully like what he or she, you know, reads. Um, another reason I think cl classroom libraries matter, so they expand resources for students, but in a, in a wonderful way, I think classroom libraries also make schools smaller, and I'll explain what I mean by that. I have a, a librarian at my school who has set up my library so it shows up in the main library database. So when a student from anywhere at, at our school searches for a book, if I have it in my classroom library, for example, or another teacher has it in her classroom library, it shows up that it's living there in our classrooms. So we have students that we never teach coming into our rooms 
asking if they can check out a book from our libraries. So I'm connected to students I wouldn't otherwise be connected to because of the library in my classroom. And we actually refer to our classroom libraries as, as satellite libraries, um, as you know, sort of branches of our, of our main library. So it makes our school a lot stronger. Um, and everybody's able to have these conversations about books and, and where they're located in the school and then get them immediately. That is so powerful. I think, you know, we sometimes assume that those already exist in classrooms, um, or at least right. when I appeal to donors, they tend to think that, you know, what do you mean? Those don't already exist? Allison talked about how her classroom library invites even practiced readers into an individual reading life of joy and challenge. Allison teaches in a private international baccalaureate school. Her students have access to resources outside of school, but that does not mean that they are readers. We will talk more about that, how common fake readers are in classrooms, in another episode. But some teachers work where the barriers that limit kids' access to books are extreme. Penny spoke with Laura Tracy Baisden, who works in rural West Virginia. I was actually rereading your application this afternoon, and I was so struck by the incredible challenge of the conditions you teach in. It's a hard place. Yeah. I mean, when I looked just at facts, like 100% free and reduced lunch, the closest bookstore is 60 miles away, and there is no public transportation to your library. That's right. So 78% of your kids live below the poverty level? Yes. How are these kids going to get books if you don't have a classroom library? They won't. They will not. And many of them have never owned a book. They don't have magazines, things like that in their homes. It's very hard. Yeah. Well, of course they wouldn't. And I'll tell you, our... our um. Those are the statistics that are available. I will tell you that that living here tells me our poverty level is actually really even much higher than that now. Um, I have a huge number of students now who don't have television, who have no internet access. And, you know, as a teacher who loves reading, I've always thought about, you know, they're wasting their brains on the TV or whatever. But when I, now that I'm teaching students who don't have access to even that kind of media. I mean, there's nobody spending money to go to the movies now. Kids don't have references. My students don't have references to things. They're so lost. I don't know another word to say, but they so don't know. They have no cultural references. They have no, nothing beyond what's in their small little world. That is a really incredible thing to think about. I, I just think we assume so much about the access to resources in this country. Yes, we do. It's interesting because we were really swayed by the letter from Rachel and Haley, your students. Yes. And they talked about the fact that, that it was your classroom and your classroom library, the one you'd already built before we gave you more books, um, had such an impact on them. So I know that you've been out there doing this work for a really long time. Yes, I am a, a National Writing Project teacher. So I know, I mean, you know, I credit the National Writing Project and the Summer Institute experiences and, and years of, of being fortunate to be a 
connected to so many brilliant teachers there of really helping me understand even more clearly than I already did the value of literacy in all of its forms and the value of stories and books and having access to reading material. So for a long time, I've, I've worked on that, but it's um, the library, this library has given my classroom such a boost. My kids are so excited. They love the books. They are in them all the time. It's just really amazing. We hear again and again, and research bears this out, that access to books leads to engaged reading. Penny says that once you have students engaged, you can build the volume of their reading. And once they have the increased stamina that volume brings, you can lead students to deeper reading in complex texts. But you can't skip engagement and stamina and give students one complex text after another, expecting they'll be engaged, or expecting that they'll become lifelong readers. We will talk more about this throughout the season, but along the path from engagement to volume to complexity, students will come to experience the power of literature as both mirrors of life experiences and as windows into the larger world. Students will see themselves in the books they read, and they will begin to see the human struggles that unite our world. Regular readers not only have larger vocabularies and more confidence in all subjects in school than non-readers, but reading helps teenagers see courage and resilience, strength and beauty, to feel less alone in a world full of digital distractions. Lori LaBelle teaches in inner city Schenectady, New York. You know, I'm curious about, you have an inner city school that you said has all the challenges of New York City. Yes. And do you find that books help kids cope with all those kinds of challenges? Oh, absolutely. Sometimes um, getting a kid, giving them just the right book is the only way you can often reach one of these students. They have so much going on in their own lives that reading for many of them is just not on their spectrum and they they don't know how to cope. I mean, they're teenagers. I'm dealing with ninth grade. They went from being the biggest and the baddest in middle school to the tiny little ones in high school. You know, it's a transition for them socially, emotionally, as well as academically. So being able to connect kids with the right book is sometimes the way that you actually reach them on a personal level or even as simply as an academic level. You can draw those kids in by paying attention to who they are and what they're interested in and giving them something they may never have picked up on their own can open doors with you both academically and personally with those students. It's an amazing connection builder. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting thing to think about. Kelly Gallagher and I are working on this book together this year, and he said to me, I know my kids better than I've ever known kids because of all the conferring I'm doing. Yeah. It just makes such a difference. And like you said, I loved how you mentioned that if you give a kid that book that really matters to them, you've created this connection between you and that child that will transfer to all other kinds of things you're trying to teach. Oh, absolutely. I tell my students, you know, every year I ask how many aren't readers, how many kids like to read, how many don't. More than half of the students, I'm a non-reader, I don't like to read. And I truly believe, and I tell all my students this, you're only a non-reader because no one's ever given you the right book. And it's my job to help find you that right book. That's so inspiring. Thank you. And oftentimes, if you can get that right book into that kid's hands, it changes even who they are. 
Um, I know that books have changed me. I know that books have changed you. When we met at NCTE, you had talked to me about that a little bit, but books can help people. They can actually open doors that people didn't even know were visible. And so getting those right books into those kids' hands help them move beyond where they are now. It opens possibilities. In these podcasts, we will also talk about books. When you book talk in class, your audience is your students, the book shoppers, the potential readers of that book. But here on the podcast, the audience is you, you and other teachers who need to connect students with books. So we will share the titles that teachers just can't keep on their bookshelves. This is Brian Kelly. I'm curious, what are your kids' favorite books right now? I see them, uh, a lot of them are passing around butter. Yeah. A lot of my kids like the, um, the, the Laney Taylor trilogy, Daughter of Smoke and Bone. Uh-huh. That got passed around a lot, and um, the, you know those books wore out quickly. Um, Coldest Girl in Cold Town uh, is another one that's pretty popular right now among my kids. I don't know that book. Um, Jandy Nelson. Yeah. Um, all of her stuff. Uh, they, they love all of her stuff. Uh, I'll tell you one that uh, has been popular for several years and it's amazing is Crank. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I have some of my best like moments with kids who find that book and even parents who have asked um, if they could borrow it as well. Um, just so many little moments pop up with that book. It, it, it's amazing. I had one girl a couple of years ago who literally who just walked around with it and kept it on her desk, even though she read it uh, several times. I forget how many times now, but it was something like, you know, she read it three or four times and kept saying it's her favorite book, it's her favorite book. And it was, she literally could not let it go in a sense, right? She wanted it next to her like a stuffed animal, kind of like a, a blanket, security blanket. Um, and it was, and it was, it was just so cool to see that. And I, I ended up getting multiple copies of the book, so she could still have this tattered paperback with her. You know, with yeah. Teacher. It reminds me of that student who said to me, "The book owned me, Miss Kittle. I had to keep reading." Yeah, yeah. Uh, the crossover. Um, this, you know, boys are definitely um, been into that the last two years, um, obviously. And I love um, some of the side comments I hear from the, from boys. Um, as they recommend it to one another, two different sets of boys um, asked each other, like, so so this is all rap, right? This book's rap. Like, this book was written in rap. Um, you know, that's their language. That's the way they're yeah. understanding the, the poetry in the book. I just thought this is so, so cool because they're excited about that. Absolutely. And I just love Kwame Alexander. What a speaker. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The books mentioned in each book talk will be included in the show notes at teacherlearningsessions.com slash go slash book love or by going to the podcast network menu and selecting the book love foundation podcast on that page you can also join a special email list and receive more info about each episode directly to your inbox including a list of the books that we book talk that's at teacherlearningsessions.com slash go slash book love I'm going to close each podcast with a teacher's story to motivate you and inspire you as you go into your own classroom. Like this one shared by Amy Marshall, our first Canadian Book Love Foundation Library winner. Amy teaches in New Brunswick. So do you have a story about one kid that, you know, was a particularly, I don't know, interesting or inspiring? I have the best story. The best story. I love, 
it just, it, I might even cry. It brings me to tears. I love the story. Um, a few years ago, I was teaching a grade 11 student. Uh, she was a single mother. Her son was two years old or so when she was in grade 11. So her mother had abandoned her when she found out that she was pregnant. So here she was all by herself in this world. She had her own apartment where she lived with her son, and she was coming to high school full time. So right off the bat, this, this woman, she wasn't even a girl in my opinion, this woman had so much going on. And then she comes into my room and she says, I don't read, I don't have time to read. And I thought, yeah, that's, that's fair. I said, so that means that the books that I suggest to you had better be good if you've got to make the time to read them with all the other things going on. Um, so I gave her Go Ask Alice, because what better book to engage a student than Go Ask Alice, in my opinion. So she read Go Ask Alice and loved it, and then asked for more titles. And so I gave her more titles and more titles and more titles. And she, she just ate it up. But for me, the most profound part of her whole journey was she had finished a book over the Christmas holidays and so didn't have anything to read. So she went to the public library for the first time in her life to check out books. And she took her son with her and checked out books for him. Oh, that's beautiful. And, and now I see, I've seen her a few times. Her son is in grade one. And I said, how's Ben doing? And she said, he loves books. He loves to read. We go to the library every month to get new books out because he loves to read. And I thought, I've broken the cycle. She was in, her mother was a non-reader who didn't think education was important. She was headed in that direction and her son would have headed in that direction, but she became a reader and she saw the value. And now she has a little boy who would consider himself a reader who loves books. And I just think, oh, that's why, that's why. Absolutely. It's like my work is done. Yeah. I kind of thought, okay, I'm done. I can, I can retire now if I wanted to. <laughs> but I hope but, you won't. Uh, no. <laughs> That's a beautiful was, story. Yeah. She wrote me a big, long letter just uh, a couple of years ago about the whole thing and about how she now considers herself a reader. And, and she went off to co community college to become a healthcare provider. And she did these things with her life that she never dreamed she would have been able to do. And it started with Go Ask Alice. Started with Go Ask Alice. Yeah, that's yeah. still such a classic good read for kids. And, you know, it doesn't fit the canon. It doesn't fit the classics. Um, and I've had teachers say that's what kids need to read in high school. And I would agree that we can have some of those. But if that's all they see, that's why so many kids don't read. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's a beautiful story of uh, how a kid just manages to find her own way starting on this journey of books. And I love that. Thank you for listening to this very first episode of the Book Love Foundation podcast. You can learn more about our foundation at booklovefoundation.org, where you can also make a donation. A hundred percent of the money you give to the Book Love Foundation puts books into classrooms. We've given away a hundred thousand dollars in three years, but the need is far greater. Help us reach more young people with the power of reading. 
Book Love Foundation Awards are given to teachers like you. If you're listening to this show, you're already committed to kids and the power of reading. You can apply for a Book Love Foundation grant by visiting our website, booklovefoundation.org. Applications for 2016 are due March 1st. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Penny Kittle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your colleagues about it in person or through your online social network and help us spread the word about the show. We will leave you with some scenes from our next episode, which comes out in two weeks. It's about why classroom libraries matter and how to build them. So I just want you to look at them. I just want you to touch them. I just want you to pull them off the shelves and and just kind of be with these books for a little while. It's like a 24-7, 52 weeks out of the year. I'm constantly looking for new titles and trying to find that next book that I'm going to be able to put in someone's hand. The thing that some people don't understand is that 52 weeks a year job of locating the right book is one of the greatest, most enjoyable things I do. The Book Love Foundation podcast is produced by the TeacherLearningSessions.com, connecting teachers with ideas, experts, and each other.